Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. That's right, it's podcast 113, and for everybody's benefit who can't put those numbers together, that's 113, Jacko. Well, we hope so, so long as I've got... The, that's what I just said, but you never know. It could be 112 or 114. I, I definitely know it's not like 238. What is important, <laughs> though, is if we have got the number wrong, that you don't take off a star when you go to your preferred listening platform, iTunes, and give us or a five-star review. Or, or Spotify, or Google Play. We're everywhere, the they podcast all, is. And they all do rankings. Yeah. And I don't think anyone... Stars. Even if, because if you don't like something, you don't really do reviews. So you only go there for five stars and we want to see those five stars. Show us those five stars. All of the stars. Who and is on today, Tim? Today we're joined by Seam Land. He is from Estonia. I'm going to let him do a full introduction because he'll do a far better job than me. And what you are going to notice about this podcast is it is a return to the more sensible, um, serious and in-depth High quality information that you've come to expect, which is a change from Jack and I sitting on the sofa shooting the breeze. I, I think I think you've downplayed us there. In that, I don't think I still think we are. When it's just me and you without a serious guest, that um, it's it's there is there's still some there's still some seriousness um, to the quality of the information that we're talking about, and it's not just um, we're not just silly when we're on our own. Well, Seam hasn't got any gaffer tape jokes. <laughs> That's what I, I know. I, well, I know. Um, well, that's because we probably didn't talk about that. But what we do talk about, um, and as you say, is there's a, there's a serious tone. Um, Seam is talking very much about the nutrition side of things. And he, as a biohacker, which you'll find out what that means um, during during the rest of the podcast, is uh, it takes a very scientific approach to it. We start, for me, I've actually, uh, it was interesting because we started off... Um, Partly, so you know, it was like we were getting to know each other, and um, and as we used to, we ended up with me pouring my heart out about what I what I thought the, the things that really took on my heartstrings within the uh, nutrition and fitness world. So um, stick the course because there's some there's some juicy stuff at the end. Yeah, it definitely is a crescendo, isn't it? Yes, he this, takes this me on a one. journey. This guy, <laughs> and I pour out my heart. Loved, Loved it. it. <laughs> right, sit back. You can enjoy Seamland on the School of Calisthenics. With Tim and Jacko in a more serious and sensible manner. Roll the serious jingle. No, the jingle's not serious. We'll roll it anyway. So welcome to the podcast, Seam. It's great to have you on. If you would just give us a a little bit of an introduction to yourself and to the people listening, tell us a bit about who you are and and what you're up to in in terms of your professional and personal life. Yeah, well, uh, uh, my name is Seam Lund and I'm from Estonia. And uh, what I do on a daily basis is just uh, write books, create articles, uh, make YouTube videos, podcasts, and... uh, I also do some public speaking and that sort of thing. So the kind of theme that I cover is can be called like biohacking or human optimization, which itself is just, you know, improving your health, fitness, uh, your cognition and general well-being and longevity. So it's kind of just uh, becoming better as a, as a human being and uh, just performing at your peak as well. Okay, great. So like looking at optimizing our, our human performance, essentially, which... Uh, is something that we you know, our our tagline at the score calisthenics is is redefining your impossible. So mm. trying to learn how to do something, I guess physically with your body that demands uh, mental and, and cognitive uh, facets, but 
trying to do something we've never done before. So we are trying to, in essence, I guess, optimize or, or make better what we've what we've sort of currently got. Um, you mentioned the term um, biohacking. Um, how did you? Where did that? So how did you come come into that area and, and just give a bit? If someone's not quite sure what what that actually sound or that actually means, just a bit of a bit of a background of what what then is how do you define biohacking and what how did you get how did you get into into that? Yeah, well, uh, usually people get into this field because of some sickness or uh, yeah. something like that. But uh, I myself. Um, found it just out of my own curiosity and uh, trying to you know improve myself and uh, especially related to physical fitness so uh, in my in my high school i started you know paying attention to nutrition uh, i started doing things like intermittent fasting and uh, yeah just kind of gradually grew out uh, into more other kinds of experiments such as uh, meditation uh, ketogenic diets uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy cold therapy taking saunas and uh, yeah everything everything related to that so uh i kind of started off uh, by writing it all about these th- things in my blog and uh, from there it grew into the youtube channel and uh, into the podcast and uh, so so far i've also written quite several books about keto as well as fasting and resistance training and all those things so i yeah i just got into it is a way of uh, sharing my own experiences with others and uh, you know learning at the same time yeah no it's it's uh it's interesting it's always in everyone see everyone sort of always has a, a backstory as to why they've got into the, the current thing that they're doing um it's always interesting interesting to hear that and see you know what is it what's the sort of motivation behind doing get doing what you do and getting into to what you do mm-hmm. and what does your what does then your sort of currently your your training look like? What's the motivation p- personally for you? Like why why do you train the way you do and, and why do you want to you know do that? Uh, well, my main goals for my training is to just uh, promote general longevity and uh, fitness, so to say. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm doing quite a lot of uh, calisthenics. I do uh, you know kettlebells i also do some barbells but yeah primarily um, because it's kind of a for me I, I like to do calisthenics because of it's very time efficient and you, you can do yeah, it at yeah. your home without yeah. needing to go to the uh, gym so it's a very fun way of training at the, and at the same time it's uh, functional and effective so to say you're teaching yourself how do you master your own body weight and uh, how do you learn these different complex skills like you know the muscle up the the planche the handstands the front levers all those things yeah, uh, yeah. I, I kind of find more value from uh, being able to do those things uh, rather than just progressing in in like the weight that you're lifting. It's kind of boring in a sense that you're <laughs> just uh, getting motivated by numbers rather than the kind of creativity and the, the complexity of the movements. Yeah, no, we've 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 been in that same space as well before. Like having you know, we we both used to play rugby and lift weights as part of the training for uh, being a better rugby player, but. Um, we found the same thing that when you're just the the idea of just being happy with because I've increased the number of uh, kilograms that I could lift on my bench press compared to you know I didn't used to be able to do a handstand but now I can actually do a handstand like it's 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 exciting it's also a little bit creative um, it sounds like you've caught the the bug like we did on that what uh, just touching on that then with the calisthenics a bit of context what uh, 
what things have you what things have you learned that you're sort of really proud of in that respect maybe how long they they took for a bit of context for people and then what other things you're working on is there anything that you're working on right now in your calisthenics yeah uh i think like the most the skill that i'm most proud of at the moment is the press to handstand you know uh with your straight arms so you're yeah you're kind of going into this pike position and you're pressing yourself upward into a handstand and i'm able to do it like you know up and down up and down several times so that's 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 something that i learned for like quite a few years i think probably like two to three years of uh, learning it but i wasn't doing it correctly initially so i could have definitely sped up the uh process of learning but at the same time it was kind of worth it and uh something i'm really proud of others other similar skills were also the uh the ring muscle up uh that's also like very fun and uh, very functional so i'm really enjoying doing that and it's also like very shiny or you know it's uh makes people uh turn their head if that makes sense and uh, yeah, it looks it's cool. impressive. <laughs> yeah it's 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 a great skill and right now i'm uh, trying to get uh the straddle planche uh locked in i can do it in a, like a, for a few seconds uh but i'm trying to get like the last last part of it uh, completely locked down so that's something that i'm currently working on nice and quite high level skills in there sounds great um, one thing you said that seemed that I, was, I thought was interesting is around um, the, the process of the, the press to handstand. Let's just take that as a bit of an example because I, I suspect your mindset around your training was going to feed into what we can talk around um, around nutrition and, and health as well. You said that it was it was the, the length of time of, of making mistakes was actually sort of quite valuable to you. Just sort of what lessons did you learn through that in terms of maybe the specifics of what you were lacking, but then also just touch on that process of how important it is to, to, to struggle sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, I think just the act of having this sort of a goal and especially something that is like requires a lot of dedication and skill. It's just, it's like a very, like a monk-like pursuit in a way that uh, it teaches you discipline, it teaches you consistency, and it also teaches you to like uh, adopt and adapt to the new situation, so to say. So if you're stuck at a plateau, then it kind of forces you to take a look at, okay, what is the reason why you're in a plateau and why aren't you progressing? So it's very, let's say, easy to just think that. Uh, you're not meant to achieve a certain goal or you're like for example in the in in the realm of uh, losing fat and fitness then you can just say that oh it's my genes or I'm kind of predisposed to be like this for the rest of my life and the same can apply to certain skills like you can get very frustrated if you don't see immediate progress Uh, but the thing is that all those things are just uh, the kind of required for you to go through in a way because you know initially the progress can be very simple and very fast because you're you know new and uh, you have like a lot of room for making like fast results but as the as the skills get harder as you get stronger as you build more muscle and as you get better then the progress will also slow down and therefore you're kind of forced to practice more discipline and more uh, you know more consistency you have to push off the immediate gratification and realize that it's a long journey in the sense that uh, it's not going to happen overnight and uh, actually if you start to just enjoy that then if you kind of shift your mindset about it 
then uh, yeah, it's gonna becomes more more enjoyable because you're gonna you're gonna do the exercises just because you like to do them instead of you know getting some results really fast. Yeah, I think we talk often about uh, encouraging people to enjoy the process. Yeah. I'm a big fan of um, trying to embrace the frustrations, as you mentioned. There, it's not you have to having to to sort of figure out what are the roadblocks, what's what are my restrictions. Yes, it can be very frustrating at times, but a longer, more uh, frustrating process to learn something. You said two to three years for the pressed handstand means that it's something you could tell in, in your voice that when you were describing that you were you know really pleased and very proud of that because it's something that you've had to work really hard at over a number of period of times so there'll be a lot of frustrations and problem solving along the way and that for me is a richer more enjoyable you know experience once you've done it and trying to encourage people when you're in the midst of a frustrating period and you're only halfway through and it's took you two years and you're still not haven't haven't got there yet that actually when you do if you enjoy that process and trust that you're going to get there make sure that you are you know following the right advice etc and you, you have got a plan um then you can you can believe and trust um i guess that's a mindset thing that you are going to get there and then when you do knowing that that's going to be far better than the thing that i tried a couple of times and then i nailed it and got it and it was easy you you might feel happy about that but deep down really it's You've not really had to do anything hard to earn that, and it's the things that we work hard for that we that we value the most. Yeah, like uh, there's that's how, that sort of a mentality will also carry over to the other areas of life. So, like if you are trying to get this uh, immediate gratification uh, in this uh, fitness and calisthenics, then you're also going to try to get the same results in your you know everything else. Yeah, like you're going to yeah, just. Totally. You're going to get frustrated if you start the business. You're going to get frustrated in relationships. You're going to get frustrated in uh, personal development and everything else. So you have to kind of understand that as you do one thing, you're going to do everything else the same way. And if you teach yourself to be more uh, consistent and more you know, mindful about these things, then uh, yeah, it's going to rub off into other areas of life. Yeah, I think that's a really good encouragement for people to go. Because a lot of the time that we we can... You know, people that uh, are listening and that, that connect with us and, and, and follow yourselves and, and, and us are people that enjoy training and they want to know more about training. They're invested in it. And it's like a common thing that we something that we have in common. Mm -hmm. And when we are able to go, OK, this is a this is a principle and a theme for for life effectively, but in the context of training and okay we can i can understand that and you go it's just really good encouragement for you there to go well take that process that you understand that like things that are frustrating are you're going to learn from and over time you're going to get better at and you know be happier with in the in the long term but take that thing that you, you you understand in training and then go and apply that in a different area of your life where you know that you need to make improvements as you say whether it's at your job whether it's a relationship whatever it is um, and that for us is where we can get where people start saying things like you know this this way of training has changed my life not just because of the, the training it's changed all of my life because i've let it transcend into my mindset towards all these different things that's actually making us you know you talk about being uh, optimizing my human performance or me being better as a human like being good as a human and better as a human is is far more than just training and if mm -hmm. we can if we have this commonality of training that we can learn something 
and then let that transcend into other areas of our lives to improve all those areas of our lives. You're not just going to improve. It's going to improve those that are interacting with you um, in all those different areas. And I think that's such a, a strong message and one that we get very sort of excited and passionate about. And someone listening, you might be like, oh, I thought you just like doing handstands. It's like, well, we do, but then it's actually what that provides with. And it, it, to be honest, in the first instance, we started doing calisthenics because we did just want to learn to do a handstand. It's, it's all these other aspects that we've discovered and people have experienced as well as to then actually go, it's much, much richer than just learning to a handstand, even though that is quite cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, Seem, talk us to us a little bit about um, the book that you've written. There's a, there's a, there's a couple of, um, of questions we want to go into on in this, but uh, the title of your book is Metabolic Autophagy. I'm glad I don't have to pronounce that. Autophagy is what I wanted to, to, to say. Yeah. Just talk to us about what that is, um, some of the detail around it, and I'm sure that's going to span some discussion. Yeah, well, uh, the title refers to this uh, metabolic process that is happening inside your body when, uh, whenever your cells are recycling its uh, dysfunctional components and you know this junk material that accumulates there. So autophagy translates into self-eating and uh, it eliminates all the old cells and different pathogens, infections, and just weak mitochondria that uh, happens because of like sickness or the general aging process. So it has quite a lot of health benefits, such as like just slowing down aging, but also fighting inflammation. And uh, it's involved in many other uh, health, in many other processes, like uh, even fat oxidation, as well as the immune system and uh, similar things. And the book talks about how do you uh, optimize this process, how do you activate it, and how much of it would you want to activate it? Because although it's beneficial, uh, too much of it can still be harmful. So um, that's why you don't really want to overdo it. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to be deficient of it either. So it's like this uh, bell curve, uh, like with anything uh, else. And the book also covers how do you balance that autophagy with the other side of the coin, which is muscle growth and uh, muscle maintenance, because that's also quite important uh, for uh, longevity and anti-aging, because as you get older, you're naturally losing your muscle tissue uh, because of you know becoming more resistant to uh, these uh, growth hormones and such. But at the same time, you're also like uh, moving less and so on. So how do you balance the muscle growth and uh, the autophagy process for general longevity. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it's, it is that balance. And those of us that are into, um, as you as you sort of the, the phrase that you use of biohacking and starting to look at, well, how do I sort of optimize my wellness, longevity, my health? But how do I also optimize my training? And, and we've had um, a functional medicine doctor on before for a couple of podcasts, and we talked in quite detail about fasting and this process of, of autophagy. Mm-hmm. Um, and fasting is obviously going to be one of the methods that we sh- which we can use. Um, but when we're training and we're resistance training and we're looking to build muscle, we've obviously got to walk a fairly sort of fine line on how we can make sure that we are we're optimizing those mm-hmm. go into that that detail a little bit of if you will about how do we activate um, autophagy and then how do we balance that in terms of is there some advices or, or some guidance that would people could implement uh yeah well like i said one of the one of the best ways of activating autophagy is with fasting and even like regular individual fasting can do it to a certain extent but extended fasting as well but uh just generally uh you know controlling your calorie intake is going to help to uh increase like the basal level of autophagy because if you're 
overfed, you're overnourished, then autophagy is going to be low because there's not going to be any reason to uh, clean out the cells. So your body is always kind of prioritizing uh, these different pathways, whether that be muscle growth or whether that be autophagy, but it can't do them at the same time. Like you can't grow and uh, clean out the house at the same time. So that's why there are certain kind of periods of the day where you can focus on one or the other. And uh, what I like to or the way I like to look at it is that uh, with some aspects of like daily time-restricted eating, you can leverage the positive side of the autophagy process and simultaneously also promote the muscle growth aspect by eating enough protein and eating enough calories later in the day, for example. And in practice, that can be just, you know, skipping a, skipping a meal, uh, would that be breakfast or dinner, and then kind of, kind of confining the eating window where you do uh, consume your calories and but at the same time like exercise itself also activates autophagy like uh, both cardio and resistance training so uh, that's why you know even if you are like you can you can go into the end of the spectrum of trying to optimize autophagy so much that you're just you know not not eating at all and you're always fasting that's going to be like a negative uh, thing because you're just not going to progress and you're actually going to lose muscle which is you know a bad thing and that's why like if you are doing some form of exercise consistently you're lean you're not overweight you're healthy in general then for you like the amount of autophagy you need would be much smaller for than for someone who is overweight or who's who has like insulin resistance so that's why the daily time of eating is like, in my opinion, the best kind of balance uh, where you can achieve, or you, like, at, at least like you can maintain uh, this increased level of autophagy on a daily basis. Yeah, great. And and from your perspective, um, where, how would that day be structured? And, and with a particular sort of notice towards when should we resistance train? Does it matter that we are resistance training first thing in the morning if we're also fasting in the morning? Or would you rather shift that to the afternoon during your, a period when you're actually in your, your eating window? What might a, a, a typical sort of optimal day look like for most people? I know that would vary based on individual requirements, but if you've got a sort of a, um, any sort of headline figures on those that fits for, for a lot of people? Uh, well, yeah, like it's 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 always better to work out whenever you can rather than not to work out. But uh, if I, if I were to be doing like in a most optimal way, then I would still try to keep the workout as close to the eating window as possible. So uh, working out in a fast state would be more catabolic than working out in a fast state. Like it's just the way it is. Like uh, if you have some uh, uh, nutrients in your bloodstream then your body's going to break down less of the muscle that you have. And uh, vice versa, if you're working out with no nutrients, then you will experience higher rates of muscle catabolism. Whether or not it's going to be harmful depends on like the overall, depends on like what you're going to do for the rest of the day. So working out in a fast state is fine as long as you're going to uh, counterbalance it later in the day by consuming enough protein and consuming enough calories. So um, just people have to be mindful of that thing. But uh, I per personally think that uh, you can do it, you know, in two ways. If, and it also depends on how many meals are you going to have in the eating window. If you're eating like two meals a day, uh, which like most people do with interval fasting, then they can safely just, uh, you know, fast until their first meal, uh, consume that meal, then have a workout and then consume their second meal. That's like a pretty good uh, situation if a person is eating two meals a day. But if, they, if they're eating once a day, 
then for them they can they would ideally work out before uh, eating and then consume their meal so it depends on the kind of person but ideally keeping the workout uh, closer to the eating window is uh, is, is is better because you're going to just uh, maintain more muscle mass and your performance is also going to be better because like working out in a fasting stage would be you know harder if you're doing it all the time and you're not going to progress that easily yeah, no, thank you. That's that's gives some like good clarity and good context. I I had a question on um on fasting related to just like the time, um like the to- well two questions. One, the total time. I think I heard someone on a podcast before talking about the um maybe it was like the twelfth or thirteenth hour that then it starts to that sort of regeneration process starts to. I, don't, I doubt that it's something that suddenly happens, but just starts to kick in a little with a little bit more impetus. Is there any, is there anything around that you found in terms of an optimal amount, like total amount of time, if you are going to be intermittent, if you are going to be fasting, that you would do it uh, for as a minimum? Yeah, well, uh, you know that depends on uh, the individual and their yeah. metabolic status. So, and also like how many calories are they eating, so on. So if a person is overweight and obese and they're also like like the day before they eat ate like a massive cheat day and yeah. they consume too many calories, then it's going to take longer for them to go into this uh, autophagy right. state yes. because the body, the body has to burn through those calories before it can uh, start to eat the junk. And vice yeah. versa, if uh, someone is already eating like a very low calorie diet, they're kind of restricting their calories, then for them it's going to be shorter. But generally... Yeah. As your liver glycogen stores become become depleted, then the body responds by starting to ramp up autophagy. And for most people, that's going to take at least 16 hours and for some up to like 20 to 24 hours. Uh, So yeah, like uh, usually most people are going to fast for about 16 hours and they consume their food within eight hours. Uh, but uh, yeah. other people can also do like fasting for 18 hours, fasting for 20 hours or fasting for like 22 hours and such and consume like one meal. So that depends on the individual. But you can also speed up the process by just exercising or going for a walk that can also um, deplete yeah. the liver glycogen. Yeah. Is there any way for us to know, um, seeing when, whether we're, we're in an autoph... I always crash this word. <laughs> um, an autophagy state. I mean, I've, I've seen one on your, on your social media talks about autophagy in, in a day. Like, is, there, is it just a, a matter of sort of trusting in that process that it's, it's happening with, with extended sort of consistency um, to some of these practices? Um, there, there isn't like a specific test you can take at a doctor to see like uh, how much autophagy you have. Uh, you would have to take like a muscle biopsy and so there's a certain other flow cytometry and with different types of tests but on a daily basis at home you can just monitor your blood glucose and the blood ketones to see this correlation whether or not you're trending towards autophagy so generally if your blood glucose is low uh, and your blood ketones are high then it means that you're in a semi-fast state and that's also going to enable uh, or at least it's going to allow the autophagy process to start kicking in because with high blood sugar and high insulin, autophagy, the the genes related to autophagy, they can't be formed. So that's why uh, low low carb or a low glucose state with higher ketones would start to indicate 
uh, more autophagy. And in my opinion, the range for that would be that your blood sugar would have to be uh, like slightly under 80 milligrams per deciliter, uh, which I'm not sure which is in millimoles. I think it's like, uh, it's maybe like uh, below four okay. millimoles, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I guess the research is sort of suggesting that for the majority of people that these 16-hour fasts and 8-hour feeding window, for example, is is fairly consistently sort of giving people some reliability. I'm just saying there's so many different variables there that it could be different for lots of different people. If someone was interested from a health perspective um, of, of starting to try and implement some of this, that they would, could be fairly fairly sure that if they were over a period of time doing an intermittent fasting protocol of a 16-8, that that would be sort of kick-starting the process. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, generally, if you see that your uh, fasting blood sugar and fasting insulin levels are lower, then it's a, it's a sign towards better health because uh, you're kind of flipping the, the metabolic switch. So to say. you're going into the fat burning mode and uh, your body generally does a lot of these uh, self-repair and self-maintenance processes in, in ketosis and in this fat burning state. I, my other question then uh, seem around fasting was, uh, something that we, me and Tim have talked about before that generally to you mentioned before skipping breakfast um, that when people talk about fasting and other people we've had on the podcast that have mentioned it it always seems to be that way around and actually um, so say I have my evening meal at, at 6 or 7 p.m. and then I skip breakfast I go to bed and I skip breakfast and then I have lunch at like one o'clock whatever the math is on that it's a it's a reasonable fast and that often doesn't fi- feel that difficult to do um you know bearing in mind back so go back 15 years when i was playing rugby i would eat every three hours because that's what you were told that you had to do otherwise you're going to be catabolic and there'll be people listening that are still in that space of going like what you're going to have a period of time where you don't eat what how are you, you going to lose all your gains but mm-hmm. um if we're just working on the premise of that we're 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 okay with potentially trying a bit of fasting to, to give ourselves the chance to do some of this regeneration. Why is, and I've tried, I've done it before um, as a bit of an experiment that doing it, flipping it the other way around, having breakfast and dinner and lunch, but then not the evening meal, you know, you st- and, and then going into bed, you're having, you still can generate the same amount of time fasting. Mm-hmm. It feels an awful lot more difficult because I, I don't know, you get hungry, hungry in the, in the evening for some reason, maybe you can explain why, but is there, is there any benefit of it being the faster part being the earlier part of the day rather than the evening or is it just, yeah. What, what, yeah. Is there anything on that? Uh, well, I think it's, it's primarily because of, uh, habits and that uh, sort of thing how you've uh, conditioned yourself to uh, eat in a way because most people do prefer to have dinner and the mm. dinner tends to be the most social uh, meal of the day as well and yeah. uh, like the there you know your body adapts to these things and if you were to change it then you would probably see no difference eventually but i think the and the research also says that uh, if you were to compare eating early versus eating later in the day, whether that be like, you know, skipping breakfast or skipping dinner, then there isn't going to be any significant difference between them uh, as long as you're doing some form of fasting, so to say. So um, that's, that's why, you know, I, I I will always, always say that, you know, do what works for you best and what you can do more consistently. And I myself also uh, prefer to eat later in the day because, you know, going to bed hungry, is definitely more difficult than staying hungry in the morning, so to say, and kind of pushing and waiting until the first meal. 
So uh, yeah, like generally, there's not going to be much difference. Although you could make the argument that uh, that from a circadian rhythm perspective, it is better to eat most of your food when it's you know light and it's daytime. Mm. But uh, if you were to do it in a faster state, then there's not going to be uh, like a difference. Whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast, there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy. And that is the virtual classroom. If you're a beginner, we have got an eight-week free beginner's program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better, get superhuman strong and have a lot of fun along the way. If you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle up, then inside the virtual classroom you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need. But rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. I find it easier. This is just a personal reflection. A breakfast, I find, is a fairly repetitive and kind of boring meal. So if you're like in the in the realm of sort of eating, like I eat eggs a lot in the morning if I'm going to have breakfast or, or whatever, it just becomes like dinner's just such a much better meal. I, I do really yeah. like breakfast, though. I enjoy breakfast, don't get me wrong, especially yeah. if it's got sourdough on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a bit of <laughs> smoky <laughs> bacon and whatever else you've got going on. Well, you, but can also, eat, you can eat breakfast at dinner as well. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I might, well, my father-in-law, sometimes yeah. Carl and I in the evening, we'll finish a meal and we'll have like berries and, and like yogurt and my father-in-law is mm. South African and he looks at me and goes, that's breakfast. Why are you eating that <laughs> at night? I'm like, that's actually dessert but just anyway. you just inspired me my my, my wife is uh, is away this evening and i might make myself like breakfast tonight like, but just like <laughs> yeah. but breakfast would tend to be like small like your evening yeah. will be biggest but i might just make a big breakfast that sounds wicked i'm coming around and i sleep well on a, on a belly you probably shouldn't s- sleep with a belly full yeah um, like the, that's the, that's the thing yeah like you i feel like i do sleep well if i'm absolutely <laughs> stuffed you know if i've already gone to town <laughs> You probably don't want to stuff yourself, but uh, like some nutrients is uh, still like a good thing because they can also promote like the creation of these uh, sleep hormones and uh, neurotransmitters. Yeah, perfect. What I really like seem about the way that you've um, you've presented this is we haven't talked about fat loss specifically, yeah. and I think a lot of people will. I know you've done some work around um, keto diets as well and intermittent fasting. And there's been so much spoken about in the fitness space around um, losing weight. And everyone's come back to the thing of saying, well, yes, it's about a calorie deficit. But we're moving past that now. We understand that we we, we have to eat in, or we have to um, get into a calorie deficit to lose weight. But our conversation here is about health and actually, like you say, longevity. So I just I think that's a really valuable part of this discussion of, of saying these are because you can you could do a keto diet, you could intermittent fast, you can do X, Y, and Z to lose to lose weight. But when we're talking about health specifically, now we're we're having a slightly higher yeah. level conversation. Not that it's not that that's to diminish fat loss, but it's it's going into detail a little bit more of yeah. these well, specific strategies. Ultimately, if you're talking about being healthier, be it that, that we know that being overweight is mm. is is a yeah you know, is a marker for like ill health and cardiovascular disease etc etc whereas and so we're not like no one is saying all of a sudden that we don't need to worry about obesity etc but it's more about how we go about it rather than you can create a calorie deficit eating a very poor diet and being nutrient deficient or you can do it if you if weight loss is the is the aim but you can do that in a way that is you can still create a calorie deficit in a um but getting good quality um, nutrients into into ourselves and it's a bit of a my um 
Try to think. Of that. I just get upset, and it it touches me, my soul, when I when it's someone is selling the dream of because if you tell me I can eat Mars bars and lose weight, then like, and I want to believe that lie, then I'm gonna be I'm gonna go for it, and it might be in the short term if I only eat two Mars bars a day which is going to be a thousand calories and I need 2000 or whatever, then I'm going to lose weight, but I'm going to be an absolute mess of a bloke after yeah. it. And it's like the, the idea of losing weight is just needs is if that is the goal needs to be part of a bigger picture of um, wellness mm-hmm. of wellness. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is true that, uh, you know, being overweight is the worst thing. And uh, if you, if any, any diet, if it makes you healthier and it makes you lose weight, then it's better than uh, being overweight. And you can definitely gain weight eating a healthy diet, so to say, eating whole foods and, you know, paleo foods. You can get fat on keto or, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of context, <laughs> yeah. So uh, generally, you know, I do think that there's nothing wrong with uh, some moderation and, you know, consuming some unhealthy foods, quote-unquote, as long as they're done uh, w- with moderation and as long as you're taking it into account, so to say, if it's not making you gain weight and if it's making you actually, you know, satiate your some of the cravings or something, then it's uh, kind of worth it. Uh, but at the yeah. same time, if you if your if your diet gravitates more towards being overly processed and uh, void and void of nutrients, then yeah, it's gonna just uh, may lead to some nutrient deficiencies as well as uh, just that general insatiety, so to say. Uh, the the thing with like this processed food is that. Uh, it's never enough so to say you can you can kind of overeat without ever yeah. feeling satiated from it so you, you always have like only like a limited amount of calories per day that you can spend and if you spend those calories on uh, hyper palatable foods that don't have the nutrients then uh, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot and uh, you're you're uh, not not gonna see the best results so you have yeah. like some some wiggle room like maybe practicing the 80 20 rule is the kind of best way of going about it 80% of it is like clean and 20% of it is like whatever you're going to prefer. Yeah. And I think that that's really a, a nice, a, a nice philosophy um, around the fact that, that we, we, we need to, the conversation, um, this is something you're going to tell that we're probably quite passionate about. The conversation needs to be around, around health and optimizing health. And, you know, you talk about optimizing performance. If we are, if we are healthier, you're going to be in a better state if you then get all the other factors um, aligned to achieve your goal of maybe if your goal is hypertrophy, if your goal is increasing strength or power, or if your goal is um, uh, weight loss or um, you know, uh, you know a certain body fat percentage. If those things, if those variable things or various things, sorry, are your are your goals. If you're doing that within a framework that is that primarily has a focus on health and optimizing the the health and performance of your your body almost like internally well you're going to be if you get those other factors right you're going to get those other things as well rather than focusing on just one of those things and then actually finding out that further down the line you've got some sort of health problem because you haven't actually been nourishing your body with the nutrients that it needs because Mm. you've just been focused on calories i think yeah that's yeah that's just something from yeah you're gonna you're gonna you can also do it like in a way that uh, you know, you can cover most of your daily nutrients by just eating a few pieces of liver 
and maybe like some shellfish or clams and that's basically it like you can you can like the liver is the nature's multivitamin and it's, it's one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet so yeah. it also depends a lot on yeah like the overall context of a diet and how many nutrients are you getting so most people tend to not get their uh, nutrients fully covered so that's why they have to kind of pay more attention to this as well and be more careful with uh, how they spend their calories but if someone is you know, getting all of the nutrients from eating organ meats and uh, other healthy foods, then for them it's like less of an issue as well. Yeah, and liver. One thing on liver, my my wife makes um, a homemade pate out of liver, and you say one of the for the richest uh, nutrient dense foods going, and it is very cheap because often at the butchers they want to just chuck it away. So like, yeah. uh, and bone broth as well. Like we get bones for free, mm. and so the argument that things are uh, it can be expensive to eat healthier depending on where you're getting, you know, if you want to be organic and et cetera, uh, that can be. But there are things that are potentially the most nutrient-dense things out there like liver and um, it, don't, it, it, can, be, it yeah. can be very, very cheap, which is a, a double whammy in my book, Timbo. If it's healthy and it's cheap... Get well, it you love it. And I'm having it on a rice cake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you have to know how to look for the food, healthy food. Yeah. And if you, like for the butchers, yeah, you can get like all these uh, cheap uh, bone parts and ligaments yeah. and the organ meats and everything that they tend to want to throw away. And but people you, go, oh, liver, oh, it's yeah. like, yeah, but how have you made it? And like, um, but I could make you, the, the thing you like, say if you really like chicken, I could make you a chicken something and just cook it horribly and you wouldn't like it it's about how are you doing it all of our vegan listeners have just turned off by oh, the no, way yeah uh, sorry for anyone that doesn't want to eat well, liver i apologize lentils are um, also pretty cheap i would imagine yes yeah. there you go yeah 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 i love yeah. lentils i know sorry um <laughs> we like lentils just as much as liver yeah yeah Anyway, um, it seems that's been really useful. I, I really like the approach about about the um, thinking about first principles and that these the, that simple thing around health. I think goes for so many different um, components of what we try and build into our, our total picture of our wellness. Of looking at it and going, what are these basics I need to do? And I think at your point before about yes, being obese or, or um, overweight significantly is the first thing which we need to address. How we go about doing that? There are a number of different ways. And then once we've got the one of the important things there about getting the high high nutrient um, high quality nutrient dense foods in, and then once we've kind of like worried about that and we've got that under control, then we can sort of prioritize these other sort of layers. So I think that's been really useful um, for people. So thank you so much for your insight and expertise on that. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, where can they where can they contact you or, or explore more about what your work? Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for inviting me and. Uh... My website is seamland.com. There you can find information about my book. And on the social media, I'm also seamland on YouTube and Instagram. Yep. So a seam is S double I M land as in land L A L A N D. We'll put the show, we'll put those links to your Instagram and your uh, website in the show notes so people can jump straight in and, uh, and connect with you a little bit more, um, which will be great. Yeah. It's been good. Thanks for, thanks for talking with me. <laughs> All right, so that's it for another podcast episode. Thank you so much to Seam for joining us. Um, we are going to be back next week with another podcast. But until then, class dismissed. 
So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts, and we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys, and we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars not as good. Keep it five are the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>